0: All right, so we are back in the quote-unquote studio, and we just returned from a really wonderful trip to Vienna, Austria, from the Impulse Towns Festival. We really wanted to check out this festival because it is known as the largest contemporary dance festival in Europe, and it started as early as 1984, although at the time it was known under a different name. And it's known today or has been described as a unique melting pot, in which spectators and acclaimed artists meet each other, not only in the theaters, but also studios, at workshops, on the dance floor, and in various happenings. Today, the festival is well known for its four pillars of performances, workshops, research, and the party program social. And Claire and I got the opportunity to get a snapshot of the festival. We attended for just one day at the end of the first week, and it really was just a an amazing wonderful experience and I feel like we got to see all of those four pillars we saw one performance by Simone Mayer which was fascinating Claire and I both each attended one dance workshop we got to interview a lot of artists who told us what they've been up to and how they came to be at the impulse tens festival this year we also attended one workshop performance ...and a party that evening. So yeah, so we have a lot to share. We also hope you enjoy the interviews that we collected. Awesome, yeah.
1: It was such a great day at the festival. This is Clara. And I think I have always heard from you and from our guests... ...that the European tradition of modern dance, if I'm getting that right... ...or contemporary dance, can be much more intellectual... ...and much more experimental than in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Which has not always been my cup of tea, and I was very curious... And I got such a great look at that, that intellectualized and experimental tradition. And I'm definitely coming to appreciate it more over time. Also just understand it. This was a really great way to look at a type of dance and a type of uh, all kinds of trends happening in the dance world that I haven't been so exposed to. So I thought it was fascinating on that front. And I think a lot of our listeners who are U.S.-based would, would find Impulse Dance fascinating and really enjoy it, too, to just get a look at something so different. Than what we usually, what I usually engage in over here, at least, I just felt like every part of our day at the festival really opened my eyes to something very new that really I could locate in my own imagination, at least, within that canon of more experimental and and, and you know heady kind of modern dance. So that was really cool, and uh, we wanted to sort of uh, in this fairly brief intro to our interviews gives give everyone a sense of what it was like at the venue where we took classes i think this this was one of the main locations of it, impulse dance even though impulse dance takes place over a range of theaters and locations in vienna we were at arsenal uh, i think it was just called arsenal or Ars- Ars- arsenal something cuz maybe that means building or something. (laughs) Uh, And it had a bunch of huge, huge studios where these workshops, basically movement workshops, were held, and then some of the research workshops were held as well. Um, So it was sort of like a little campus, uh, and they had a little pool and a cafe and just some hangout space, which was really awesome. Um, So we wanted to give every, set the scene for everyone, what it was like in that space, and then we'll talk a little bit about the classes we took, or at least I will, because we got a lot about Jessica's class in her interview with her instructor as well, Uh, before we dive into the interviews.
0: I'll just share a few of my highlights that I really enjoyed about the festival and just the overall scene. And I have to say, I was really impressed and happy with how open you were that day to all these new experiences. Thank you. (laughs) And some of the new experiences, so I really appreciated how, in addition to the Arsenal classroom space which again had these really beautiful giant studios which traditionally or currently is used for set production for various theaters. Um, You walk outside of the building and there's this hangout space where you have like a little cafeteria where you can buy food and drinks. There's also a bar where you can buy other drinks Mm -hmm. and they had set up a little pool and there were places where you can just hang out and sit near the cafe but then there's also this lounge space where music was playing and it was just really great to see how open and nice everyone was and everyone was just conversing and chatting with one another in between classes and workshops so it was really great to be a part of that energy and feel that there was this really open and nice energy between all of the participants. My personal favorite highlight of that day when we were at Arsenal we were invited to an open workshop performance. It was sort of a dress rehearsal for the performance that Tino Segal's workshop was going to present at the Leopold Museum that weekend. And we had no idea what to expect, but when we walked into the studio, there were a bunch of dancers sitting around or standing around, and they were sort of conversing and chatting, and they seemed very relaxed and Mm pedestrian-like. And as soon as we walked in, they they all said together, Welcome to this situation. We had no idea if they were talking to us, so we just sat down <laughs> at the side. Um, but as other people walked in, they said the same thing. And people were interacting. They were sitting in and around the performers, although the line was blurred between who was a performer and who was a spectator. It did seem like anyone... in everyone was participating whether they were a spectator or performer Um, but they would repeat quotes and um, converse with each other about the quote but they created a very casual space where anything could happen and they would react to one another in the space whether you were a performer or a spectator which I thought was really fascinating. And we have an interview
1: with one of the workshop participants so definitely keep listening Uh, We also will post the times to the track so that uh, you can get more information about that experience
0: and that workshop. So that's my highlight for the day at the Arsenal space. What were your highlights? So highlights. We each
1: took a a movement workshop, I'm going to call it, in the morning. I took one called Riding the Curve of Space with Ray Chung. Uh, We have an interview with Ray Chung uh, coming up as well. It was a contact improvisation class, and I think I sort of knew what I was walking into. The thing is, when I read the description, and actually someone else in class said this as well, I thought it was going to be more about individual techniques to jump better. It said something about defying gravity, so I thought it would be more about jumping and a little bit about partnering and working with others and within yourself to just get more lift in your dancing. But then on the way to the workshop, I reread the description. I had read it before, but I reread it again, and it said contact improvisation. And that stuck in my brain. I was like, oh, this is something different. (laughs) And that's totally what it was. And I think maybe I thought I, I I kind of knew what that was. But once I got into class, I realized, like, okay, yeah, I may have seen something like this before, but now I'm really discovering what contact improv is. Basically, and I really liked how Ray Chung, the instructor, presented it to us, even though I was walking into the last day of class, I I think he made it really clear what at least the idea of the technique is. I guess uh, two or more people are improvising, doing their own movement. They're not, you, you know, obviously it's not choreographed, so they're not doing the same thing in unison. And... and they will, from time to time, come together and separate. Physically, literally, their bodies will come together and they'll push off of each other or help each other jump or do kind of partner moves. But because it's all organic and it's all taking place over time, they're just making up the movement over time, it doesn't look like they're trying to do some trick. At least it shouldn't, if you're doing it right. And Ray Chung had an... There was another man in class, Christian, not sure of his last name, who's, who was teaching a contact improvisation class the following week, which would have been now last week. Since he was also in this class, he and Ray would sometimes demonstrate for us before an exercise. So I, we got to see two kind of contact improv experts doing it how it was supposed to be. And it did look very natural and organic, the way they would kind of you know, they would do, like, a lift or a move, but it would seem like it just grew out of this dance that was taking shape before our eyes, and then they would separate again and come back together. It was really cool. But it's a very difficult thing to learn, I think, because on the one hand, you're improvising and it has to seem natural. On the other hand, as you're learning, you have to learn techniques to to help your partner and to share weight with one another. So coming in on the last day of this workshop was a whole interesting experience of its own to see how people had learned throughout the week uh, to kind of partner with one another and then how they were also exploring just making it natural. Uh, It was a little hard to come in on the last day. I mean, it was a little dangerous, actually. You know, you could get dropped or hurt yourself. Uh, And actually, tip to anybody considering going to impulse dance and participating, uh, Jessica and I hadn't realized that, workshops were set up to be continuous for each week we thought it was more like an adult open class where they had the same open class each day for one week and then a new set it's actually each workshop is continuous so definitely register for the whole Monday through Friday if you're planning to go to impulse dumps it was a really interesting class you know I'd never done it before it was a little scary we did some lifts uh and that was kind of fun I did cheerleading in high school so I was a little bit familiar with like lifting uh so I you know I was brave and I went for it and we tried it and had a good time. But these were two and a half to three hour workshops, which was really cool. You really do get to uh, get into it and move and sweat. It was very hot. There was no air conditioning. Um, and so everybody was just hanging out and sweating all day. But it was awesome. It sounds awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. And another highlight from the day was the performance that we saw by Simone Mayer, <laughs> Sons of Sissy. What was really fascinating is the piece, although Simone Mayer had presented the piece previously, it was selected as part of this EU project to make the piece accessible to blind people as part of a Humane Body Project, which is, I don't know, some EU-sponsored project. And it was fascinating. We were invited to a pre-show tour in which mostly blind people were invited to the stage in non-blind people could put blindfolds on to experience it the way that they are and you're led around the stage in a line and they let you feel the perimeter of the stage also props that they're going to use in the performance you also get to perform some of the rhythmic foot action that they were performing to sort of immerse the person in the experience before the performance happens then during the performance um You have the opportunity to have a recording or an audio aid in which they tell you, I guess, what's happening in the performance. Although we were not entirely clear what exactly the the audio clip was. And we were trying to get an English translation, but we hadn't actually Mm -hmm. reserved ours in time. But it was interesting because a lot of the props that we felt during the tour before the performance were making a lot of interesting noises, and a lot of them were instruments in the performance itself. So I thought that was a fascinating way to give something tangible to a blind person to relate to. And then after the performance, there was a talk back and a lot of the audience members who were blind were able to talk about how they were able to experience it and what they got from the performance. And um, a lot of them got various things, and they felt appreciative of the whole experience. Um, The performance itself, um, from just a visual perspective, or actually a total immersive perspective, was, um, I thought, very fascinating. I really enjoyed the performance and was really surprised by how riveted and how present in the moment I was during the whole performance, Um, even though it was sort of an abstract display. You know, there wasn't anything linear about it, but... It was interesting how even within that abstract model, it did build over time and kept my attention throughout the whole performance. But just to give an example of some of the things that were happening, there was a lot of nudity. (laughs) There was a lot of partnering. It was just four men that were performing, but first they performed musical instruments and then they um, broke off and did a lot of repetitive motions in which they were partnering each other or... Shuffling about the stage, and then that sort of turned into this big dystopic—I um, don't even know what you call it—a big chaos. Yeah, just total chaos <laughs> happened, and they were just like going nuts all over the stage and making lots of noise. And who knows how it ended, but it kept my attention the whole time.
1: Yeah. So again, on the front of half knowing what I was walking into. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Jess is an expert with this kind of stuff. She's very good at immersing herself in very experimental works of theater. I am not. <laughs> so, again, like I actually was really overall very happy that this was the capstone to our day because it was so part of the overall experience of going to Europe and going to this festival for me, for both of us. Uh, that said, it's funny because, again, like I thought I kind of read the basic description of the show, but in my head I just had... Uh, a very different vision of something way more rooted in, uh, in uh, what's well, the opposite of abstract. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I had a picture of a more contemporary ballet show or contemporary dance show like I'm used to seeing. Uh, and part of that is, again, like with the class, because I did read a description and the description said something about folk music coming from the country the Austrian countryside and so I had a really concrete picture in my head and uh, then once we arrived and I saw the program and I saw the all the naked pictures in the program I was like wait is this the naked dance troupe I thought this I thought this was like you know traditional Austrian folk dancing music something and it started out like that there were four guys on the stage they were fully clothed and they were playing instruments and they were playing this really awesome rousing kind of folky, square dance kind of music that I loved. And after those first couple minutes of that music, they stopped. I think it was really right then, or maybe only a few minutes in, that they all completely stripped down. So when Jess says there was a lot of nudity, she means the entire time there were four guys running (laughs) on, on the stage performing completely naked. Which is funny. It's kind of ironic because I can see where the show would be selected as a show to encourage blind people to get involved in dance because it was very rhythmic and very auditory uh much of the performance much of the movement was based on stomping and clapping combinations so that there was the performers themselves were creating music essentially but at the same time you also have four guys who were completely naked which is not normal and that's a very visual thing so it was sort of like both the visual and auditory aspects of this show were remarkable uh, not something I'm used to going to, not something I really still know how to appreciate. I mean, it was totally not, it was totally abstract. There, there wasn't really a lot of dance based in technique. I'm mean, clearly, like, clearly the people on stage are well-trained and have incredible strength and incredible endurance, and I'm sure they're, I, I would be curious what their background is, but I'm sure they're trained in modern at any rate. Um, but they weren't really drawing on that technique. They were stomping, clapping, moving in, sometimes in patterns, sometimes not in patterns. And then near the end, they started bringing in these uh, instrumental props and making a lot of noise, abstract noise, uh, with the horn and bells. Uh, So, I don't know, I think the one thing that struck me about it that I... Uh, was surprised by in a pleasant way and was able to appreciate was the fact that I could tell there was some kind of deliberate build-up to the piece not just in the sense that like oh yeah of course it gets more chaotic chaotic over time but something felt really deliberate it was almost something I couldn't access and couldn't quite understand or grasp but it was like there was something there that was building over time in a a way that this choreographer had created that I wouldn't know how to replicate. Whereas, say, if it was just a matter of it getting more chaotic over time, I could do that if I wanted to, even though I'm not a choreographer. It's like, I think we were talking about this on the train from Vienna to Budapest after we left Vienna. It's like with Jackson Pollock, a lot of people would look at that and say, well, I can throw paint at a a canvas, right? But when you get up close to a real Jackson Pollock, sometimes you realize, no, it's weird I don't know how to describe it or why it's different but I couldn't do this from throwing paint at a canvas there's something deliberate in there and I don't know where it comes from and that's exactly how I felt about this show I don't know maybe that's the beginning or the kernel of appreciation dawning for this kind of art I don't know if I'd put myself in that particular experience again but you know it was it was really interesting um, the theater was really hot. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's meant to have air conditioning, but they didn't have air conditioning, so it was very, very hot in that theater. And I literally by the end was, like, legitimately concerned. For the performers, I just didn't understand how they were still moving, completely, hundred, like, perpetually moving for, like, an hour and a half in this yeah. really hot theater. So props to them. I don't know how they did it. But, yeah, yeah really interesting show.
0: And as you were talking, I was thinking about how, completely structured the whole performance was it was very structured In what way? Um, like they had very specific steps and very repetitive anything that's repetitive is by is yeah defined by a structure so that was very clear throughout and i think that's what was probably maybe what you were experiencing that it was building up to something like there was definitely a lot of structure there and then suddenly that turned into total post-apocalyptic chaos which is so fascinating that those two very contrasting elements were there complete boring structure followed by like totally insane chaos yeah in fact when you say structure i think if that's
1: what the underlying principle was that I couldn't grasp or was surprising me, it would be complex structure because again, it's that line between could I do this myself or could I not? And I could create something structured, right? I could create a simple repetitive structure, but something was going on here and maybe what it was, was the complexity of the structure. And and yeah, maybe it was also, there's some kind of principle there. Maybe the principle was going from complex structure to utter chaos and, how you jump across that line. There's something in the choreographer's head that I, Simone Mayer's head, that
0: I, I, I don't understand. I'd love to know. But yeah. So yeah, so we thoroughly enjoyed our time and look forward to going back and spending some more time there.
1: And just to add... You'll hear that this comes out from some of our interviewees. One thing we just really loved about the whole experience was the way everyone interacted when we were at Arsenal, when we were hanging out during the day. It was a really a pretty small space, um, the hangout space, and then the studios were huge. So it felt pretty intimate, and everyone was really open. I mean, everyone talked to us talked for a long time, engaged with one another, and just really seemed interested in what they were doing and very enthusiastic about being there. And there was such a wide range of uh, people. There, uh, There were people from all over the place, people from different backgrounds, people who came from dance backgrounds and people who didn't. So I think especially placing this in the dance world, it felt very accepting. There weren't divisions along the lines of are you a great dancer or are you not? Are you from a technical ballet, classical ballet background, or are you from a modern background? It really felt like everyone just mixed, and that was awesome to experience. So definitely recommend everyone going to Impulse Duns and spending some time there and getting to know people. Enjoy the interviews.
0: Now we're here with Ori Floman, who is a fellow New Yorker. And he's been creating and presenting his choreography extensively in New York, Europe, and Asia. He teaches dance and yoga as a guest artist for several companies and schools around the world, such as Parts, Sasha and Guests, The Place, Kohlberg Ballet, Workstadt, Europa Festival, Circuit Est, and many others. He's an adjunct faculty at NYU Tisch School of the Arts in New York City and was a guest faculty at SUNY Purchase, my previous school. Today, I took his class, The Energetic Body Through Dance and Meridians. We're just going to dive a little bit deeper into some of the theories behind the workshop and where Ori Floman's influences have come from. So to start in the workshop today, I really enjoyed this phrase that you use, this artistic, holistic point of view. And from this point of view, at least from what I got from the workshop, you have found a way to explore energy expressed through the pathways and meridians. These are then divided into five elements, earth, water, wood, metal, and fire. And today's class theme was fire, one which you mentioned is all about opening up the heart, and it's connected to that meridian, the heart meridian. And it was really interesting to use different qualities of fire in our movement today. Um, but generally speaking, how do you work with dancers to get them to
2: express these various qualities
0: of the elements through their body.
2: First of all, I see that you really took a lot in one day from the workshop. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't always emphasize that in dancing in a very direct way, but sometimes I, I feel... If I just teach, uh, if I'm scheduled to teach a technique class, there's a certain expectation of doing more of a technique uh, warm-up and and, uh, teaching a phrase, but I really, uh, I think what's important for me today for dancers, um, not just to feel that they're copying movement and it's not just the shape of things, but the qualities that we can bring into it. So sometimes if I teach an open class, to start to get into all those theories it might just get too confusing and too much but i feel like i can maybe say a thought or throw something that also relates to equality and uh, not just relate to um, lift your right knee and shift your weight and that's the movement so um and sometimes it just depends on the day if if i will feel um you know, that maybe people are a little stiff that day and rigid, and I just sense it. Then maybe I'll throw something that connects somehow to water element, which is about fluidity, and and then maybe I will do um, a forwards to uh, some more forward bends, which relates to the bladder meridian, which relates to water. So sometimes I won't even talk about it with the class, but I'll just sneak it into their, <laughs> download it into their bodies without them knowing, because sometimes the the starting to talk about the theory might get too confusing. And one of the things that I've been um, interested to see in my teaching that, um, you know, we work with the body, we dance with the body, but we get very brainy. So when people start to sometimes think so much and process, and I'm, I don't say don't think or process, but don't let the thinking of process take over your whole learning um Process so it does. You don't get stuck in your body because sometimes I see people struggling with the movement with their body and and because they're thinking and they're thinking and it and it stops their movement. So I, I sometimes say let your body think and not your brain think. So. In that situation, sometimes if I'll start to give some more information about meridians and that, they'll be like, "What are you talking about?" And so, finding ways to just filter it in, and that's why I really enjoyed this workshop because it really was about it, and it gave me the opportunity to to blend those two ideas in and dive a little bit more. Um, into explaining the, the theory and explaining um, what are those meridians, what are those qualities. And every day we could experience a different quality and integrate it into the dancing. And even though I did teach a dance phrase in the end, I didn't want it. the focus to be just about getting the phrase, but how we integrate the qualities into our movement. And what I said to them was, what I want you to get is how you can put those qualities in any dance phrase because if you teach a five-day workshop, you want people to take something from this workshop and move on with it. I think an example I said, I say, you know, if you go to another workshop next week and you'll dance my phrase, the teacher will look at you and say, what are you doing? This is not my workshop. But if you'll go to that workshop and incorporate some of the qualities that you learned about in, in that teacher's phrase you still took my workshop into that workshop, but it helps you. Yeah. <laughs> so that is really what I'm um, interested, that, that it's not just about that movement. You know, If it was a repertory workshop or if we would perform it, then it would be a different story and we would have to work more on, on the material. But, um, yeah. I, think.
0: Um, I did notice that you were very good about giving the students examples of the different qualities to express in the movement phrase that they that they performed at the very end of the class. Um, each day, did you have them feel that theme element for the day? Um, did you build on from day to day, or was it just sort of a culmination of the different elements?
2: Both. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so the movement phrase that we did in the end, we definitely started it the day one and accumulated on, but with the focus of every day a little bit of the different element and then each element we also experience in different ways that connect to that element so the first day uh, we talked about earth elements so uh, I also taught um, some movement material that was all about dropping our weight to the floor and rising from the floor so it was all about weight and groundness and how we connect that so we did um, also um, a lot of movement of feeling the floor catching our weight. And how sometimes, uh, as dancers muscularly, we pull up and away from the floor and exercises, how we can connect to the floor more. Um, the earth element connects to stomach meridian, stomach meridian connects to the thigh. So, for example, we did some thigh stretches and seeing how when you stretch your thighs, your thighs release a little bit and your weight feels a bit more connected to the floor. If you think about when you pull your thighs up, you're kind of lifting up. So then when we learned the phrase, the emphasis was, you know, feel the floor. When we were doing um, the water element, like I mentioned before, it was about fluidity. And um, so we did a lot of, um, we actually did a very long improvisation of taking different images of water and how I just said a word and everybody just danced whatever they thought so if i said an ocean or if i said a swimming pool if i said a waterfall if i said a gushing rain and if i said a flushing toilet we all <laughs> respond to that somehow in dancing and felt different quality of fluidity it could also be very powerful it could be very soft it was like or a drop of water so we're working with those qualities and from improvisation arriving back to the phrase and then how we deal with the given material and also that meridian is on the back, so we, we gave each other a little body work on our back to feel very nice and open. So everything kind of was integrated um, into the warm ups through some plays of improvisation and imagery, and through body work, and then and then into the into the movement. So for me, it was really wonderful because I really like my love for Shiatsu which I practice and body work and my love for dance and how how we can bring it together.
0: That's great and so does your experience with Shiatsu really influence this method or have you come up with this method on your own with this influence?
2: Well I um, been practicing Shiatsu and giving sessions uh, for 15 years so it's definitely been filtering somehow more into my dance class uh, and sometimes I would do a little bit of body work or, do, or talk a little bit about energy but also like if I'm in a university and I'm uh, teaching the technique class I feel the responsibility also to like do technique and not just do improvisation so kind of following um, the responsibility of what the class is about. So here like in Impostance I had more opportunity to explore with that but slowly slowly for me it's the, the the connection and the influence is is really overlapping and uh i'm really enjoying that and shiatsu in shiatsu technique you're really working on the body's energy and you're really um affecting uh the body so it is really a method that helps you, I think, move and dance as opposed to if you're injured and you need to get a sports massage or a Swedish massage, and then they really kind of dig into your muscular fascia, and and then it really it's really sore, and then you need to wait a day. It's not like something you want to do and then get up and dance. So and in shiatsu, it really makes sense. And we always, when we do stretches, I, in a shiatsu session, I also stretch people, so um the integration of the two seems to me very natural, and I'm trying to bring that into into the class. And sometimes I find myself, even in an open class, I'll just have people lay on the floor and even just like pull their legs and shake the pelvis, and that's already like a little bit of, of uh, awakening of the energy and how you then get up and feel like, oh, my energy now is much better, or maybe I'm more awake, and my senses are more in tune with my body, I can dance better. So it really makes sense to me and I also been working with um, some companies of treating dancers uh, giving them sessions and uh, and even just like before shows and and it's been really great (laughs) to see how they connect to that as well.
1: Just a quick clarification is shiatsu also uh, based on the meridians or is that Uh,
2: yeah so shiatsu is a Japanese massage and I studied at uh, in New York City And um, it is based on the meridians and based on the five element theory, which is the same. The meridians and the points and the five elements theory is the same as acupuncture. So I did say that in the workshop today. Nothing is my invention. I didn't. I wish I came up with that theory, <laughs> um, but it's just it's all information that is available. Um, it's just uh, kind of like passing that information and integrating. So I did not invent shiatsu or or the meridians, but I think what. What I did that was maybe the original part is just take that into the dance class and and kind of mesh them together and see how they can influence each other. I have not seen that. There is a woman who um, who did um, she taught classes the Five Element Dance, which I think was mostly based on improvisation. Gabriela Roth for the Five Rhythms, which is based on that. Um, unfortunately, I heard great things about her. Unfortunately, she passed away. Though I think. There, it is still being taught. I never have gotten to take the class, so I don't know what's it about. But
0: yeah, we should all take it together because yeah. we've been wanting to take okay. it. Okay.
2: Yeah. Easier. Let me know and let's do it. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, the the integration of how that affects our that our energy and body is. Is is out there? I think I just took it um, from my own personal experience and, and shared it this yeah. week. But it
0: seems like you're formalizing it and codifying it quite well, and you're communicating it in a way that's digestible. Because when I first read the description, I was like, "Whoa! How is he going to achieve this?" And, and it makes sense. It's, um, and I really like what you said about how um, working with these qualities of the five elements and how. You showed how the five elements are connected to each other. Um, you're inevitably working to achieve balance, balance in a dancer's body and their movement and total awareness in their body.
2: Uh, yes, well, thank you. Well, I was really, um, yeah, this is something I was a little scared of. Like, how can I pass this information and not make it, not, like, make it a lecture, but try to... Let people understand the theory and be curious about it without feeling overwhelmed with information, and that's why every day I think how I approached each element was different. I would try to not make it methodically and not have a list of like, well, the season for this meridian is spring, so tomorrow we'll learn the season for this. So one day I taught, I said the season for this meridian. The other day we talked about the color. Another day we talked about the senses. And I think the most important thing, and that relates to any teaching, is that when you talk to people about things that they can relate to or images that they know, they can connect to that. If you're telling them something they have no idea what it is, find a way to connect it to something that they do know, and then they'll get drawn into it and then say, oh, yeah, so if... um, I can't try to think about and well if we talked about earth element and earth is about grounding and and uh so um stomach meridians or earth is about appetites or you know it's just like you know when you crave food you know your earth element is is active you need to nourish yourself and then you know when you eat sometimes we eat a big meal how do you feel after a big meal oh you feel really full you feel really full you feel heavy you feel grounded so even just that very simple so everybody can you know Relate to that. So, just to give some things um, around that, and then, then I felt like they they were with me. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't just lost them in, in the context of like a lecture that that is just scientific.
0: Yeah. And ultimately, you're building an awareness in their body, which is where that balance ties in. Yeah.
2: Right. yeah. Thank you. That was my goal. <laughs>
0: Um, So, I know that you danced for Steven Petronio for a few years, and he's one of my favorite choreographers, just wonderful, brilliant movement, and I saw with the movement phrase that you taught the dancers, you had a similar fluidity, um, fluidity and sort of momentum-based motion um, that was very beautiful to watch, and it was really great to see the students perform your movement. Um, overall how would you describe your choreography and style and what are you up to these days
2: oh wow what a question um, I think you know when I before I started to choreograph I was always too also scared like I danced with Petronio that if I'll do something I'll be compared to oh that looks like this and that like that but then there's a certain point that when I felt a bit more comfortable choreographing that I thought, well, we, we don't want to deny our influences, but we just want to find where is our own voice coming out of, emerging from our influences. And um, it's interesting, I just saw, um, I was just in Israel where I grew up, and I saw a documentary about a very famous um, a woman, uh, uh, she was a poet. And her father was one of the most famous po- poets uh, in, in Israel, like a very, very influential figure um, in the 60s, all 60s and 70s. And um, there was a documentary made about her. And in the documentary, they showed an old radio interview um, with her where the person interviewing her said, um, what do you say about people who say that your poems are directly influenced from your father's poems? And she said, well, my father influenced a whole generation of of poets and poems. They all kind of copy his style or, or do that. So, so isn't it the most obvious that as my da- as his daughter, I will be most influenced by him? <laughs> so, like, why is that a surprise when people say, "Oh, she's influenced him"? It's 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 okay that I'm influenced from him. But then, what what was what came out of me? And I loved that she said that because she just like owned it instead of like making that become an accusation or some kind of yeah. a point point of disadvantage. And she was like, "I'm his daughter, so yeah, I love mm-hmm. being influenced by him." So. I think, like, embracing that and then finding your your voice. Um, I, I mean, so definitely I have an influence from Petronio, that fluidity. I love to play with sequencing with the spine. And when I'm creating movement, I, I try to be in the studio and sometimes surprise myself and try to make movement and sometimes break down. Like, if I'd make a phrase and then sometimes go back and, and look at moments that maybe make sense to me and then try to change them to a moment that doesn't make sense and kind of sometimes do that but also I usually if I create a piece I kind of just um, have some kind of an idea or a thought and and try to bring that to the studio I had you know made one piece that was based on childhood memories and I was looking at old footage of me and my brother and sister dancing when we were kids And I have a son, and I brought him to the studio, and I asked him to improvise, and then me and my dancers learned his movements and tried to, like, capture this essence of childhood childhood in our dancing. And and then another piece I was kind of curious about, uh, the idea of beginning and when we started to dance, and I was thinking a lot about how the body felt when you just started to dance, started to take dance classes, and... uh, or just improvise in your living room or something. So a lot of thoughts generated from from that point. A lot of times I improvise with dancers in the studio and sometimes capture moments from the improvisation and relearn them, which is really challenging too. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so the process is different. I mean, even though I see my work as sometimes kind of abstract, but I feel that there's always a thought behind that that is uh, leading me and um, yeah right now I'm starting to maybe think about my new uh, next project but I haven't I quite haven't thought what it would be I've been working with a dancer um, in a studio um, just kind of playing around and throwing some ideas trying to One thing that's been interesting is trying to do like a really long floor phrase that where you kind of lose the sense of where your arms and legs are. (laughs) Mm Oh, interesting. So we've been having fun, like, um, just, um, she's been on the floor, and I would just say, take your left arm and put it behind your right leg and under your <laughs> chest and roll over and oh just God. let her somehow interpret it, and sometimes it's like she's really, like, tied up. and But somehow really fun things came out of that, so we've been, like, playing with that and see where that would go. Um, yeah, and I'll be making a piece at NYU on the students uh, of Tisch in uh, February, so I already had the audition and casted 22 students, so be a big, big piece. Yeah, that <laughs> is big. That's awesome. So, yeah. But it's happening in March, and I'm like, I don't know yet what that piece will be like, so we'll see. Okay, great.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right. So uh, what's your favorite element <laughs> of the five?
2: Oh, well, I, you know, in a way I always see myself a little bit earthy. Um, I definitely have... Craving for sweets, which is the flavor of the earth, the sweet tooth. Yeah, salt.
1: Salt of the earth. No, salt is water. Think about ocean. ocean?
2: right? So, Uh, right, right. But um, you know, when when people are very nurturing and giving and giving and giving, they crave sweets to kind of like calm them down, or yeah. So and you know, I think being a teacher is kind of like in this. I am, in some way, a a caregiver and very caring. But there's definitely water there, too, floating around, and I think a little fluid. Very cool. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, this was so great. Thank you so much. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. See you in New York City. Yeah. Go to a class. Yes. Yeah,
0: we will. The five rhythms. Thanks. All right. So tell us your name and which workshops did you participate in this week at Impulse Tons?
3: Hi, I'm Adam Norton. I participated in the Dancing with Meridians workshop with Ori Fleming and uh, Tina Repertoire with Louise Harper.
0: Great. And so I actually participated in Ori Fleming's workshop earlier today, and that was very fascinating. And we also interviewed him. And what did you take from the workshop that you thought was fascinating from the whole week
3: think ge- generally speaking the sort of the letting go letting go generally was a big part of his, his practice and what he was telling us and also not worrying or getting caught up so much on the sort of details of the phrase and of the of the movement and actually just uh, being in the quality of the movement and um, yeah feeling more I think.
0: And that's really in line with what he said that participants some were worried that they wouldn't get the repertoire that he was teaching and really the whole point was to just feel all of these elements the elements that he was describing like earth metal water and I imagine that that would be really cool to experience that in the movement to just sort of let go and feel those different qualities did you find yourself like Really identifying with any of the elements more than others, or what really made you let go?
3: Yeah, I think the um, I, I like water generally. I'm just like a water person, and water. Are you a no, I'm Taurus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think if, if any element, that element really uh, gave me more possibilities. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and the other elements I'm I'm still, I think I'm still kind of coming, getting familiar with and maybe discovering. Mm.
0: That makes sense. I think if someone asked me to do a metal dance, (laughs) I just would have no idea where to start.
1: (laughs) And do you come from a dance background?
3: Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I studied for three years uh, and a Bachelor of Performing and Screen Arts at Unitech in New Zealand, in Auckland. Uh, So that was a very practical dance course dancing five days a week three classes a day um so yeah i come from quite a, a tactical um physical practice
1: what was that mostly contemporary dance that you studied
3: it was yeah we also did ballet and we did this thing called muscle and bone which is a kind of a uh it expands off Bhutto practice uh yeah but mainly contemporary
0: and so what brings you to impulse tons this year
3: a lot of things, a lot of things. Um, yeah, uh, well, I've heard about it through, through, through friends who have done it and, and been through the experience and said that it's just really awesome to be, to be in Vienna, to be um, at a festival that's totally, totally engaged in dance and moving. Um, and I'm here because I really want to sort of weave my way into a new dance scene, you're the European dance scene, Europe in general. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think I'm really here to experience, to learn, and um, yeah, enjoy it.
1: Okay. So tell us about the second workshop uh, that you did today, at least
0: Tino Segal's rep.
1: Yeah. Oh. Jessica and I popped into that workshop for a little while it was really interesting I've never seen anything like it before Um, although I'm not familiar with Tina Tino Segal Uh, it seemed that it wasn't 100% clear who were participants and who were just onlookers and where that boundary lay if there was one Uh, it was just very interesting so maybe describe that workshop to somebody who hasn't seen it and give us a clue as to what was going on there.
3: Right. Yeah. Um, So it's it's a piece that's designed to be performed in a museum. Uh, And yeah, it's about this like the uh, the audience and performer kind of blurring those lines. Uh, And so a group of us, actually, usually it's six participants. They enter a museum space, and they've already learnt about. I think it's actually a lot. I think it's maybe twenty quotes that they have memorized and that they they're familiar with and stuff. And so, what happens is, uh, moving in slow motion, uh, the participants will recite a quote, but in normal speed. So you're moving in slow motion, but you're talking in a normal pace, as what's you know natural to you. Um, and so, yeah, these these performers quote these re-quote these quotes, and then a Discussion will form will form from that quote, and it's really open. Yeah, it's open for the participants and for the performers. And there's also a thing as when a new part, when a new audience member enters the space, everyone says this this uh, welcome to this situation. And we say that directed at this new audience member who's entering the space as a way of kind of acknowledging them and bringing them into this environment and into this, this energy that's in the space. Uh, and, yeah, so it's it's just really interesting. It's really interesting to see where the quote can, can take a conversation and um, the dynamic between the performers and the audience members.
0: That's amazing. That's exactly what we saw. <laughs> yeah,
1: and... Uh... When we walked in, too, a discussion would form mostly with the people in the, I think of it as on the stage, but just on the white area of the floor. But then every now and then, one of them would address someone who appeared to be an onlooker and say something random to them, like, I like your shoes or I like, I guess the two that we heard were positive affirmations that had to do with something about that person. And we weren't quite sure if they were planted onlookers or if they were real onlookers or if onlookers were invited to participate. So is the idea in the museum piece that people who are watching can actually join the discussion or are they not supposed to join?
3: Yeah, they're totally allowed to join in the discussion. Um, We definitely try to encourage that as much as we can. Um, And the compliments, they're not uh, planned at all. They are, yeah, totally spontaneous and... um, up to the performer as to who they give it to and, and when they give it um and so the compliments are really nice kind of um like a platform I guess to to just get someone comfortable into the environment and into the into what's happening um and also maybe to expand off into another conversation that let is led off from that compliment
0: Yeah, I can see um, compliments are a great way to get anyone involved in a conversation. That would be a good way to get someone involved who doesn't look like they're participating. (laughs) So this workshop lasted for five
1: days, right? So what was it like participating for the full five days? What was sort of the structure of the workshop leading up to this performance-ish kind of participatory performance?
3: We went about... Basically, um, Louise introduced us to uh, Tino Segal's repertory, um, his process of working. So we looked into the process that he goes into in order to uh, bring about a piece that's going to happen in a museum, how he can uh, work with people in university institutions who specialize in specific uh, Areas you know, like gender studies or philosophy and stuff like that, and how uh, for this piece, the the situation he went about approaching, uh, say he performed in Vienna, he would approach these intellectuals or academics at institutions and invite them to participate and to be performers in this work called the Situation. And yeah, it was, and that that process would last. Um, you know, they'd, they'd go through rehearsals and. Uh, trying it out and things, um, and so we, we, yeah, we looked into that, and then we went about actually learning the piece uh, choreographically. So Louise taught us the different the six positions that each and every one of us have, uh, and they're related to um, to paintings that were sort of a, a space dedicated to, say, Monet's Monet's paintings, um, and there was another artist as well, and. We practiced it on each other a couple times, and that was really interesting to kind of see see what would happen and and where it could go with people who had no idea what they were kind of entering into, and and then yeah, we decided to open it up to the public today, and it was really cool.
0: I will say, <laughs> we really had no idea what we were walking into, but I was really amazed. I I loved every minute of it.
1: Yeah, and. I guess the one thing we might not have mentioned just for people listening uh, there was this discussion happening among the performers and some of the people who walked in, uh, but they were also moving while discussing like a lot of people some people were just kind of lounging, but a lot of you would start moving in slow motion, like you mentioned before, slow motion at some point into everyday pedestrian positions or dancery positions, either way. And then every now and then you would all breathe in, you'd walk backwards, and then you'd land in a position, right? So there was some choreography happening, um, but a lot of it was also the discussion at the same time. So that's what the piece looked like. Yeah. Cool.
0: So out of this exciting week, what were some of your favorite moments or a favorite moment that stands out for you?
3: I think the, the first one of just actually... Coming to this space we are here right now, and seeing this like this layout, this awesome layout of huge, fantastic studios, um, and a wonderful loungy outside area with a pool even. Uh, And
0: great music. Great music, yeah,
3: exactly. And um, meeting these new people from all over the world, and learning and listening to what they have to say and what how they how they move how they feel being here yeah
1: so expanding on that just slightly uh is there anything about the vibe of impulse Sounds that you find unique and that you like
3: yeah definitely um it's definitely very uh inclusive open and i think there's there's just a great energy great energy here that um I'm, i'm feeling awesome thank you great yeah thank you so much
1: So to start, please tell us your name and how you're involved in impulse dance this year.
4: Uh, my name is Ray Chung, and I was uh, asked, and I guess I kind of requested to teach, and it had been a couple years ago. But uh, because of scheduling, they weren't able to have me come until this year.
1: And I took your class this morning. It was called Riding the Curve of Space. Uh, And it was about, it was a contact improvisation class. So tell us about your background and how you learned contact improvisation.
4: Uh, Well, my background includes martial arts, mostly judo and tai chi, which I did as a teenager before I started doing um, contact. Mm -hmm. And then. Something that really influenced my learning of contact was uh, shiatsu, learning shiatsu. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's very much how to use different levels of touch and weight, which contact is very much about as well. Mm-hmm. But it's, And also how to move and engage from your center. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarities between the martial arts. Because contact was partly developed um, through a keto, and so I started um, contact by uh, discovering at a jam and just trying it. And because I had done um, judo, it wasn't a problem to fall on the floor with other people mm. and to do it in a safe way.
1: For some of our listeners who aren't familiar, what exactly is a jam, and how does it work?
4: Okay, it's jam. It's uh, kind of modeled after like a, a music musicians jam. Mm. Where people come together and improvise with each other, uh, but in a contact jam, um, it's pretty open. People just come and go when they need, and it's mostly done in duets, um, mm. but there can often be trios and ensemble uh, practice as well. And, and that's how I learn mostly, because it's a very kind of rich environment to learn if you have the patience. To, to observe and then try things. Um, and I found it's like a laboratory. I can watch and just see people do, try different things. I can go and try it myself. Or, and I'll often s- go to a jam to get ideas about a class or mm-hmm. try out things around classes.
0: And what was your experience like this week, teaching the workshop for five days? And what was your ultimate goal in your workshop this week with the students?
4: Uh, My experience, it was a positive experience. I mean, I'm often used to teaching all day. um, So Mm -hmm. like six hours a day for five days. Um, So this is just one class a day and that's uh, more relaxing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's harder for me to um, decide what's the essential material that I want to share with the students. And in this limited time. Um, but my main, um, I guess, intention in workshops of, of this sort are to give them some uh, tools and experiences that they can um, bring with them and continue to practice with. And I often um, try to give just a little information to create a framework within which they can create their own experience, Mm -hmm. Um, trying out the um, different principles that I kind of lay down for them to try. And and in that way, um, have them learn instead of um, trying to say, okay, you put your foot here and you move this way and that way. I mean, there's a bit of that. There was some of that in this week. But I do that more to um, explain and have them experience what the principle is behind, what the actions are, Mm -hmm. so that they know that, okay, this is just one instance of how this principle can be applied.
1: Interesting. And that actually relates to a question I definitely had after taking the class today because we were only, unfortunately, able to be here for one day of the festival and it was the last day of the class. So I was curious how How do you take beginners through the motions and help them understand how to do contact improvisation and how to get into it? It really seemed like the other people in the class had caught on to it very well. Um, And it's something that could have a high barrier to entry. It could be dangerous and it's a little scary. How do you help them break down the barriers and kind of what process do you follow to teach people this really interesting um, dance or sport?
4: Um, Well, with most beginners, um, I really get them to take the time and really listen to themselves, what their body are are capable of doing. And not only just at rest, but also in motion when they're moving by themselves um, and with a partner. And in my, I guess, philosophy of contact, um, that you never really dance alone. You're always dancing with the floor. So the floor is always your partner that you can do contact with Um, in that way that um, the principles that are involved in interacting with the floor are um, extrapolated or adapted to working with a moving body Um, in that way so that um, you're treating the floor very much like you would treat another person and the floor in a sense treats you back the same way and
1: so what are some of the, I guess, principles that people have to keep in mind that might be different in contact improvisation than what they're used to in dance or acrobatics or whatever background they come from? Um, you had kind of mentioned before we started the interview something that I think has to do with the balance between the partners and making sure both people are supporting one another. Um, so what are some of these unique principles that you have to know and understand?
4: Well, listening, physical listening is, I think, a very important one. Because contact on one level is very much about physical communication Mm -hmm. and how can I read my partner's intention, uh, primarily through sense of touch but proprioceptive um, things that are happening, and then how to interact again, how to feel comfortable with the floor. So basically how to learn to fall from any level, from any orientation, and to do it safely so that you don't... Mm. Um, and lately, I've been working a lot with, I guess, the role of the connective tissue um. and uh, the different components of the connective tissue that can help you be more soft with the floor and different ways to move into the floor. Falling often happens in yeah. contact and. And it's actually a very fun thing to do, but uh, we need to be able to be comfortable with it, especially with somebody else falling with us. Those are two of the main things I feel are essential. Um, there are others, they're more related to disorientation, um, because the sense of space in contact is very spherical. Um, and I often approach through the intention of reaching, and not only reaching through the hands, but through all the different surfaces of the body in all directions, so that one uh, can cultivate an awareness by reaching your awareness out, um, your sensitivity out, so that no matter what your orientation is, upside down, sideways, or going through all those different um, directions that you're um, not totally lost. So you'll always, hopefully, you'll always know where the floor is because mm-hmm. it'll always be there and coming at you mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention. Um,
1: great. Well, that covers a lot. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you. We're here with Kristen, and you're teaching another contact improvisation class next week, correct?
5: In week four, it's the last week.
1: Can you tell us what that class is and a little bit about it?
5: The title is Contemporary Contact Ballroom, and it's about contact, contact improvisation and the relationship to music. We'll have uh, music which is rhythmic, and, but more music like a soundscape, like a landscape with who you can dance.
1: It has, has the word ballroom in yeah. the title, so yeah. is it based on ballroom dancing?
5: It's based on ballroom dancing, we did this f- format sometimes, and it's, you could also do it in a ballroom because it's more on the feet standing, and we work with counterbalance. For sure, we will learn falling, but it's more party-like. You could also do it with party clothes.
0: For some reason, when you describe that, I think of tango. Is there any relationship specifically to tango dance?
5: A little bit because it has also to do with leading and following but uh, tanga you stay upright and in contact improvisation we are leaning we are continuously falling together so it's more off balance and fascinating the, the spine is curving and in tanga you stay in your axis like
1: very straight,
5: yeah. yeah yeah so can you tell us a
1: little bit about your background in dance and how you got involved in contact improvisation and impulse
5: dance I started dancing quite late. I was 30 years old and I wanted to do something I didn't before. And a friend of mine took me to impulse dance and I have been watching different workshops like ballet and then I saw a group and they were rolling and playing on the floor and it looked like playing children and I thought I would like to try that because that fits to my body
1: you just started doing contact improvisation ever since then?
5: Yeah, yeah. I started contact improvisation, then I tried contemporary dance, I did a lots of capoeira, I'm also a yoga teacher, and I'm also doing body work, body therapy. Can you tell us a little
1: bit what you were doing before you got into contact improvisation and dance, uh, and I guess how you managed to make that transition?
5: I worked in an office and it's like civil engineering about environmental plants and water supply and I had to work a lot with my brain sitting a lot on the computer and I wanted something uh, to release my my eyes and my, my body and before, I, I did sports like skiing or running, but I wanted to more creative work and also to communicate with people and not doing the stuff alone.
1: That's uh, so fascinating that you just managed to make that switch later in life. I think that's awesome.
5: Yes. <laughs> now I make my living from dancing.
0: Wow. So tell us more about the workshop that you took today and. What did you take from the workshop that you found most interesting?
5: The workshop today with Ray Chang, it has a lot to do with trust. Trust Mm. to your partner and to yourself and the floor. And also challenging and surprising yourself. You can plan something, but you don't know if your plan will be real. (laughs) It could happen the opposite. And lots of about of sensing with the skin. It's not not so much about seeing, and lots of information come uh, from the skin, tactile information.
0: It seems like you have to really truly be in the moment
5: at all times. Yeah, yeah, in the moment, and quite open to go everywhere at every time, and lots to do with listening, listening to what your partner does.
0: So we were speaking with you a little bit earlier and I had asked what is the contact improv scene like in Vienna, in Austria in general. And you said that it had been growing for the last 10 years. Can you talk more about that?
5: Yes, so I started more than 20 years ago and in this time all the contact dancers were professional contemporary dancers. And then more and more normal people, let's say normal people who hadn't have professional dance experience, tried contact improvisation because it's the, the entrance is quite easy. You can play, you can play like like a, a child, and come in contact with other people. And so then it began to grow. And now I think. There are still some professional dancers in the contact improvisation scene, but most people are doing the, the work in offices or have wow. quite different... It, it's more like like uh, also for a relaxation or an alternative to doing sports or also community.
0: Oh, that's excellent. And so, do you hold classes for dancers and
5: non-dancers alike? My classes are open for everybody, but I have beginner's class and classes for more experienced dancers. That's so interesting that people are coming
1: from a non-dance background. We rarely speak with people who haven't grown up dancing, so it's really interesting to hear your story, um, coming from such a different background and really making a career out of it. That's awesome.
5: Yeah, and contact with improvisation, it's about cooperation. Yeah. And lots of sports is is competition. Mm-hmm. And people also like t- doing something together. Because if you're you're one person and another person, and both of you create this uh, a third person, this th- third mind thinking, and there are lots of synergies. You can do things you couldn't do alone right. like, like this falling backward yeah. you will not do it alone but with a partner you can do it and so it opens your movement and also your thinking yeah. possibilities uh, so
1: final question what are you most excited for coming up at Impulse Stunts
5: it's in summer and it's, it's like holidays and also this international feeling, so you come from the states and people are from everywhere and it's quite high level there are really good dancers and teachers and you can see performances you can take classes you could do jams and it's so so much happening you cannot do all (laughs) yeah great thank you so much thank you